Alright, well that was the opening music to The Spiral Staircase, released in 1946, and starring Dorothy McGuire, George Brent, Ethel Barrymore, Kent Perry, Rhonda Fleming, Gordon Oliver, and Elsa Lancaster. I really liked her. <laughs> yeah, she's always really fun to watch. Yeah. I kept, I always, you know, as soon as I see her face, I think of the Bride of Frankenstein, of course. <laughs> her, her top role. Yeah. And it was directed, you, can you help me with the director? I don't want to mispronounce his name. Oh, yes. It was directed by Robert Siadmak. And Robert Siadmak was very big in the Weimar Republic film industry from 1919 until 1933. And then he and a whole host of people fled Germany. And he and uh, Billy Wilder ended up being roommates in Paris for a while. And they did well there with films. And then they had to flee again to the United States. And we, we really went into detail about Robert Siadmak. Mark's uh, uh, history in film because it was it was so he was all over the globe trying to escape uh, Hitler. Well, you learned about him in that film studies class that you took, right? Yes, yeah, we uh, took a Zoom course from the Skirball Center here in Los Angeles and talked about the films between 1919 and 1933 in Germany because they had a really thriving movie industry which which uh, kind of fell apart with Hitler coming on and then he re redid it in his own fashion and I guess it's back now because a lot of films that I've seen recently have been made at uh, a couple of the big studios mm -hmm. in or around Berlin. So There's quite a few Netflix shows that are produced out of Germany. Uh watched a few of those so yeah so this is a this is a fun movie i you had mentioned that you thought it could be one of the first slasher movies well that's what i was reading and you think about it it has some of that flavor to it sort of the early versions one interesting thing is you know when they when they pan it when the camera pans in on on the uh unknown serial killer and they show the eye that's robert siadmark he that's his eye <laughs> oh is it really should we do our introductions you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net and on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews. And I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from North Bend. And this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles welcoming everybody back to Classic Movie Reviews and The Spiral Staircase from 1946 with a, a host of really inter interesting characters. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention was uh, Kent Smith, who plays Dr. What is, what's Kent's title here in the character role? Dr. Perry. He had a career that I, I never quite have understood why it didn't take off more. He's had many roles that yeah. were really good, like the cat the cat people and Nora Prentice and the Fountainhead but he never really struck it like at the A-level top list but I find him to be a really really interesting and, 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 and excellent actor if you go to IMDB and look at his picture that they have on IMDB he looks like he's Clark Kent and he's going to turn into Superman you know he's got that kind of jawline and he's got those glasses and the hat and everything he does <laughs> yeah he was an actor that yeah he just didn't quite break it out into that A-list category he made a career out of acting, so he was he kept busy. Oh yeah, he was, he had a long career, and he was really big in uh, radio, television, and some theater. There was a scene in this movie where he confronts the the younger brother, played by um, uh, Gordon Oliver. He confronts uh, Steve Steve Warren, and he says uh -huh. he gets right up in his face, and he says to him, "You're you're quite insolent." I've been doing a great deal of thinking about Helen. I know her condition is due to shock. I'm sure a new mental therapy can restore her voice. I'd like to take her to Boston. Don't you think you're taking a tremendous responsibility, building up her hopes, making her think there's some miracle in store for her? 
It's up to her, not you. What you're doing is cruel and foolish. That girl has adjusted to her affliction. I think you should let it go at that. Suppose you let me mind my own business. It so happens I don't think much of your business, Dr. Perry. If there is a solution to Helen's problem, I think that solution ought to be in the hands of someone other than a country hick doctor. The only thing that keeps me from cracking you in the jaw is the almost certain possibility that would break your neck. What's the trouble, doctor? The good country doctor, having lost his wits, is about to resort to his fists. Professor Warren, I know you're interested in Helen's welfare. I've told you what I've learned about her, and I've decided it's for her best interest that she leave here tonight. Tonight? Yes, she can stay at my mother's place until we can take her to Boston for the examination first thing in the morning. Well, Doctor, you know that I agree with you about the element of hope that you have for Helen, but what's your reason for suddenly making her leave tonight? Well, Mrs. Warren feels that she's in danger here. Well, surely you don't take the ramblings of a sick woman seriously. I take most things seriously. Doctor, there are many other considerations. Helen needs this position. It's her only means of support. No family. It won't be easy for her. I've thought of all those things, Professor. I... I intend to take care of her. Oh, I see. Well, I'm very glad for you and for her. You're a sentimentalist, Doctor. Tell me, are your humanitarian instincts restricted only to people with serious afflictions? You're very insolent. <laughs> do you remember that scene? I do. He'd had it. He'd had it with the guy. That was powerful. I could see him being like a commander in a war movie, getting up in somebody's face and telling him to go charge the yeah. charge Ant Hill, you know, or something. <laughs> like, uh, he could have been in Paths of Glory. Well, this film um, is 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 a really good gothic horror drama film noir. It's kind of a mixture. And uh, the director, Mr. Siadmark, had such a long career. Another movie that he did when he came to the United States that I really like was in 1946, The Killers, with Burt Lancaster, and uh, these two men are after him. And it's a really good drama. I'm not sure if we've reviewed that or not, but we'll have to add that to our list if, if we haven't. And then he did one that we would, we would like, Son of Dracula. That's right up our alley. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. We, we're heavy on the horror and science fiction. Well, I kept thinking about Dorothy McGuire's character because she, she doesn't speak in the whole movie except for the last minute or 30 seconds. And I, I wonder how I difficult know. that would be as an actress or an actor to be in a role where you you have a ton of screen time. Like, she's in, like, <laughs> almost every scene, it seems like. But she doesn't ever talk. It's really interesting. She really had to make it uh, just by the, by the strength of her own knowledge and character. Um, a lot of facial expressions and full body acting and things like that. I don't remember if she was nominated for uh, an award for this or not. I, I seem not to have either thought about looking that up or whatever. I got lost in looking up Ethel Barrymore because she, she comes from a family of actors and theater people that go way back and even now Drew Barrymore carries on the tradition. And she did win an Academy Award for Supporting Actress in a movie that I uh, have seen called The Lonely Heart with Gary, Gary Grant. Am I right on that? Yeah, none but the... None but the lonely heart. It's a, it's a really well done movie. You know, it, it reminds me in many ways of an Alfred Hitchcock film with the lighting, the black and white photography. And there's no way I'd ever go to that mansion, especially the basement. Oh gosh, the basement was so creepy. I couldn't I couldn't quite tell how many levels below ground there were. It's, it seemed like there were two, maybe three. Yeah, there, yeah, it was hard. It was a little bit confusing, like the, the geography of the house. It, it just seemed enormous. 
And then there, and then in the middle of the house, kind of at the back, I guess, is this spiral staircase that the movie's named after, uh, which looks like from certain shots that it just is also endless. You know, like it's. <laughs> I know. Well, the film was was put together uh, by Dory Sherry, who is really, really an excellent uh, producer and 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 person who could really select a lot of excellent films. At this time, he was with RKO, and he went on to be at MGM, and I believe he was involved in one of those films that I really liked, Bad Day at Black Rock, where he was the producer on that. He just, he had a real knack for picking excellent scripts, and he, and he was able to do them on a pretty tight budget and within a time frame that was really important to get them out uh, without cost overruns. So in many ways, I think he's one of the leading producers of the 40s and 50s. Uh, I like the way that George Brent played Professor Warren, too. I thought he did a good job I, you know you you mentioned that you thought it was kind of like a slasher movie um you know it kind of reminded me of the movie clue and then the movie knives out where there all these people there's all these people in the house and there, there's a murder yes yes and nobody knows who's done it and everybody suspects everybody else and it's kind of funny the the inspector at the beginning of the movie he goes to the movie theater and he's saying that there's been another murder and then he's talking to the owner of the theater and says it could be any of us it could be me it could be you and the theater owner's like wait a minute i've been down here the whole time it's not me don't stand around go on home all of you what happened constable well there's been another murder, a murder? there's nothing you can do i told you to go home go on oh just a minute miss are you alone you work out at the Warren home, don't you? That's nearly two miles from here. You'd better hurry if you're going to get there before dark. Got any ideas who did it, Constable? Yeah. Same fellow did the first one, same fellow did the second one. But who he is, I don't know. Somebody in this town, somebody we all know, somebody we see every day. Might be me, <laughs> might be you. Well, how could I mean? Uh, I was here at my desk. Anybody? Oh, be could... quiet. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it 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 had some uh, yeah. overtones of an Agatha Christie uh, novel too. With uh, the, the, there's one that goes by different names where there are ten people and they're all at this lonely castle. Yeah, and and one by one they're they're murdered and we're never sure until the very end who did it. And in this one they did a good job of disguising who the real who the real culprit was. Oh, I guess we should say spoiler alert here. So uh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk about the ending. George Brent just unraveled in the last 10 minutes of the show. But yeah, they, they kind of give you a, a, a red herring with Gordon Oliver's character, Steve Warren. And they make him sort of li not very likable from the very beginning. He's sort of a schmoozer and a womanizer. A ne'er-do-well. A ne'er-do-well, yeah. And and then they make they make it seem like George Brent's character, Professor Warren, is this upstanding citizen who's taking care of all these people. And he really cares about the people that work for him. He's ca he cares about his mother, who's played by Ethel Barrymore. My only, I guess my only complaint about the film is that they don't drop, they don't drop enough hints that it might be George. Like, I, I think what would have helped me a little bit would be as if they had mentioned his father and how, how controlling his father was a little bit earlier in the film because I kind of figured it might be him, but it kind of really, it was out of left field in terms of the reasons why he would be that way. I was thinking about that. Um, well, first a little bit about uh, Mr. Brent, uh, 
He had to flee Ireland in his early days because he was uh, he was being sought by the British. He was a member of the uh, IRA, Irish Republican Army, and he he said that he was only a messenger, but he did a lot of uh, different tasks for them. And he he, he had to he leave he le- he left he leave he left just in time to escape arrest. And the other thing I found interesting about his well a lot he did a lot of films with Betty with uh, Betty Davis, but he did seventeen oh, Lux Radio Theater dramas. <laughs> <laughs> he really got into the radio scene. Really a, a fine actor. And uh, Betty Davis had a kind of a secret love for him, or, or so it says as I was reading about him. But he does a good job of fooling us as he moves along. He disguised his, his psychopathic nature. He, he does kind of fit that archetype of somebody who's a little bit too squeaky clean. He's, he's trying a little bit too hard. And there's several times in the movie where he talks to Dorothy McGuire's character and says, well, if you ever, ever need anything at all, you're always welcome here. You know, we just we just want to make sure you're okay. Helen, I want to talk to you a moment. Now, Helen, I don't want to frighten you. But because of what happened in town, we have to be especially careful for the next few days. If you should see anything outside of this house, or even in it, that makes you suspicious, I want you to let me know. See that someone else does your outside work. You stay in the house. Don't hesitate to come to me at any hour if you need help. In hindsight, it kind of, I guess there are those little clues in there. I just think that the whole thing with his dad was not mentioned at all. So they could have foreshadowed that a little bit better. Yeah. But her mom, I mean, his mom, geez, she was a character. Oh, Ethel? Ethel Barrymore? Yes. Pistol packing mama. Tin was watching it a little bit with me and she says, why do, why is it in all these old movies that they just make everybody look so old? She was looking at Ethel Barrymore's character, and she she says, well, she's probably my age, but she looks like she's about 70. <laughs> <laughs> they did quite a job of, of makeup and, and all that. Well, the story is um, pretty straightforward, I think. In this town in New England, mysteriously, these young women that have been murdered, and no one's really quite sure who's doing it, who's done it. And I think there have been three or four, and it turns out that each of the, the uh, victims had some kind of, of, of a disability or, or a handicap. I, yeah, George George Brent's character calls it an affliction. Yeah. Here's a sidebar that may not make any sense at all, but this was directed by Robert Seidmark, and uh, Dory Sherry uh, was, was so into this uh, recapturing what happened in World War II. There's overtones in this of the serial killer going after people that weren't in his mind, and I quote, perfect. And boy, does that ever resonate with me in terms of what was going on with Hitler's Germany. I mean, that's got to be in there for sure. It's- and then this was made in, ni- it came out in 1946, so it's it's the war has hardly been over. I, I did find that, that they did a radio production of this prior to the release of the film. Interesting. It's like a marketing thing, maybe? Well, I don't know. It just says, uh, the novel was adapted for a radio production starring Helen Hayes before reaching the screen. I'm going to listen to that. So anyway, there's there's everybody is suspicious of everybody because there's no clue as to who's doing this. The thing is, though, in, in I watched it twice, okay, because I, I really liked it. But the second time I watched it, I realized that uh, Mrs. Warren, played by Ethel Barrymore, does suspect somebody of doing these things. And, and it, it, it doesn't make yes. a lot of sense the first time you watch it, but the second time it made a lot more sense how she's, she's very strongly warning Dorothy McGuire's character to leave the house. Just get out of the house. You just, you're not safe here. And the first time I watched I was like, why is she, you know, why does she keep bringing that up? What, you know, what, what, what does she know that we don't know? Um, and then she's got 
a gun that she keeps by her bedside and and you, you yes doesn't everyone in their 70s of course yeah they're they're bedridden and you, yeah she's got this gun <laughs> good so yeah there there's it's interesting how the characters kind of interplay with each other and and you wonder who knows what about who and who suspects what about who and, and it's complicated because dorothy mcguire's character is has lost the ability to speak because of a horrible tragedy in her youth that just completely that completely shut her down and, and so she's got that to deal with. That was another intense scene with uh, Kent Smith. Like, uh, yeah, he did a really great job in this movie. He he's trying to help uh, Helen is is the character's name regain her voice, and and they're in love. And I think you know he has plans to ask her to marry him. He recounts that story of what happened to her as a young girl, and it just absolutely freaks her out. And then he starts like yelling at her and getting really I wouldn't say violent, but just really animated and and mm-hmm. loud. And then uh, Steve and Steve Warren walks in on them and kind of breaks it up. Helen. Come into the den, I want to talk to you. Mrs. Warren's asleep. Professor Warren's with her now. I've been thinking things over. Mrs. Warren's right. You should come with me tonight. You can stay at my mother's place until we can make arrangements to go to Boston. My mother will like you. I don't want to frighten you, Helen, but you heard Mrs. Warren a while ago. Her mind's growing steadily worse. And I'm afraid she may become violent. She seems obsessed by the idea that you get out of this house. And there may be something back of it. You'll go with me tonight. There are doctors in Boston who know all about your case. I want to take you there. Helen. When I left you this afternoon, I dropped in at the Fabers. They have a guest visiting them from your hometown. Uh, Mrs. Lindstrom. You know her? Well, she told me a story about a girl. A girl who was on her way home from school one day. She had good news for her parents. When she wasn't far from her home, she heard a fire engine rushing down the street. She started to run. When she turned the corner, she saw that it was her home that was in flames. There was a crowd outside. She wanted to scream herself, but somehow she couldn't. She tried to rush into the house, but was held back because it was hopeless. So, without being able to do one thing to help, she saw her mother and father burned to death. I'm sorry, Helen, but I had to do it. It's only because I wanted to help you. Go over everything that happened that day. Have the courage to see it all again. And by not blocking it out of your mind, you may find your voice again. I don't like being an outsider, and you shouldn't either. I know what I'm talking about because I'm an outsider here myself. A lot of people don't want me. They want me to quit, but I won't. Because there's at least one person who wants me here, and that's good enough for me. There's one person who wants you to talk, and that ought to be good enough for you. Look at me. Look at me. You remember how wonderful it was when you had a voice? When you could say hello or thank you? When you could yell back at someone who started picking at you? I do it all the time. You look at me as though you don't believe it, but I know I'm right. Try to talk! Try it! Try it! Excuse me. 
My mother is asking for you, Helen. A little bit later in the movie, um, Dorothy McGuire's character has this dream sequence where she imagines that she's marrying uh, Dr. Perry, and it gets to the part where she has to say, I do, and she can't say it. I know, and it shows that all those so people's creepy. faces like they're. It was so scary. It was like, it was like a real nightmare. Yeah. And then Dr. Uh, Professor Warren walks in out of the rain, and, and she's kind of in this stupor because she's in this daydream state, and she, he's talking to her, and it's almost like she barely even hears him. She looks around and realizes that that whole thing was just a dream. It was a really intense, interesting scene. Did you ever, uh, during the film, suspect that it might be Kent Smith's character that was the serial killer? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, there were just... They did just enough with his character to make me suspicious. He was fairly new to town. He wasn't well-known. He was kind of bossy. He was kind of like pushing the other doctor around and kind of like just yeah. insinuating himself into the the life of the of this little village. It's a re it's a really excellent uh, film for for making the viewer think there were like three or four really prime suspects throughout almost the, f the entire film. And oh, and 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 it and it gets more intense because then all the action moves into that gothic mansion which which is just before <laughs> electricity came in so candles and and uh, lamps and all that and it's always almost always dark and they some of the characters would go down into the basement and just frightening with i wouldn't go down there one of my favorite scenes was with elsa lancaster and uh kent smith and oh no sorry with uh, george brent and she needs to go down to get a bottle of, of uh brandy <laughs> yeah he's going down there with her to pick out yes. a, a, to pick it out and, and she's kind of helping and she has this trick where she knocks the candle off the candle holder and it gets really dark in there and while it's dark she grabs a bottle of brandy for herself and slips it into her a pocket in her dress <laughs> Dear. Now I've done it. Did you bring a match? No, sir. Well, never mind. Perhaps I have one. Here we are. I think it rolled over there, sir. And then we find out later, you know, spoiler alert again here, that that was all part of his plan. Like, he was quite devious in how he set this whole thing up. And it was much more yeah. planned out with what was happening in the house than I feel like it might have been with some of the other victims, where it was more like he just identified somebody that he felt like needed to be killed and then would just go do that. Whereas with the people in the house, it was more like he had a plan of how he was going to execute these this is kind of morbid. This is kind of morbid to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, he he was very planful. Yeah, and I, Elsa Lancaster in every role that she was, in, she just dominates the screen by her ability to play these unusual <laughs> characters. And there's many of them. There's so many I, I can't even recall them all. Her hair in this movie is really a character unto itself. I mean, there's scenes where she's trying to like get it under control, and it's like. <laughs> <laughs> She can't. She can't figure out why the door, the window uh, in the hallway keeps opening up, and and then she tripped over the dog. <laughs> that dog. That poor dog. Yeah, I mean, well, like the dog knows. Maybe the dog did know. I don't know. The thing about the thing about the window opening though is that it's another red herring because there's no reason for for that window to be opening and, and sure. by itself. And I, I I still don't really know why the window was opening even after watching it two times. It was sort of just like, well, somebody must be sneaking into the house, you know. And but really, the 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 killer was already in the house. I mean. It, it was his house. <laughs> so. I think it's just that the w the window episodes or scenes where the storm was on outside and it blew open, open the shutters yeah. and maybe somebody forgot to close it. But it, it just adds to the uh, 
to the drama and the complexity of trying to figure out who's guilty of what. Probably the best part of the movie for me, though, is just the atmosphere that's created and the the weather that they mm-hmm. that they create and the basement of this house is uh, is almost a character unto itself. And so I really love the the way that it looks and the way that it makes you feel that you're in this really dark gothic mansion there's no real floor plan that i could make out as i was watching it so it just it just adds to the sort of confusion and the size of it is is sort of undetermined as you're watching the film because it just seems like i said it seems really big and you even mentioned like how many levels of the basement are there it's hard to determine from watching the film And wasn't that scene with Rhonda Fleming's character? She went down into the lowest level of the of the mansion, and I knew this was not going to work out well for her character. Yeah, yeah. She was Blanche in the movie, right? Yeah, Blanche. And that scene where you just see her hands out on each side when when things go wrong. It's amazing. Yeah, it's kind of reminiscent of the first murder where you just see the hands kind of reaching up into the air, and then on this one, the hands are reached out to the side. And it's a fe- it's an effective technique that they use for filming. And and they definitely like implicate Gordon Oliver's character in that murder. I mean, he even shows up and he's all wet and he's got this weird look on his face, like, and he he doesn't even seem yeah. shocked that she's been murdered. And I and I wonder if he doesn't suspect his brother as well, like if if there isn't something about their relationship that makes him wonder about his brother. Oh, he might have. He might have. Well, there's a lot of these these little scenes and stories within the the overall story that take place within the mansion. And and when when uh, Dorothy McGuire's character locks him in. Into, the, into that storeroom. I thought, oh no, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to regret that one. Well, she didn't know though. She thought it was him. He, he was a very unlikable character. I just forgot his character's name here. Steve. Steve Warren. Steve, yeah, okay. Well, all the reviews were really positive when it came out, but one that I really like because it's written like it was 1946. An ingenious plot and the work of a superb cast lend distinction to the spiral staircase. The film is ultimately deemed as gripping gripping <laughs> one of the one of the taglines from the from the film was conflicts that freeze your emotions suspense that takes your breath away <laughs> you know i i'm sure you've noticed this too the difference between the posters from that era and the posters from today are so different because you know I'll, I'll record different movies and they'll show up on our on-demand service or recording service and there'll be new posters against old posters and you know you immediately know that it's an old film just by the artwork and the detail and some of the language of it in some ways it's kind of quaint it's it's a cool poster you know it does kind of give away a lot though i mean it, it the one I'm looking at has Dorothy McGuire kind of above the, this ripped piece of paper that has the actors on it and the name of the movie and then Ethel Barrymore's to the left and George Brent's to the left and and then there's this house off in the distance in the fog. Yep, that's the one I've got on the screen, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's I mean, those are, that is kind of the, the triangle there, you know, it's, and the way that it wraps itself up there at the end with Ethel Barrymore getting out of bed was unexpected because she was supposedly bedridden and couldn't walk when they when they come around that corner of the spiral staircase and see her at the top of the stairs with the gun in her hand that was a surprise (laughs) (laughs) And, and she is so full of anger and mad at what happened you killed him you killed them all servant girl in the well the others in the town Today, the cripple in the hotel, you killed them all. Tonight, it would have been Helen. I heard you. Stephen, get me Stephen. 
She really, she empties that gun. She does, and, and these murders have been going on for a while. It's not just these recent murders. This, this guy had killed, like, a housekeeper or something back in the day. She, yeah, she was really angry, and, and I think maybe she knew she was on her deathbed, like, literally, and was going to execute this justice that she felt needed to happen, uh, and she really took care of business, I tell you. <laughs> she's, she's such a good actress. Um, another another uh, review. A climax terrific in its impact had yesterday's audience breathless and tense. It was right along with the tagline. <laughs> yes. 87% Rotten Tomatoes rating. People like it. Yeah, I liked it too. I had a few nitpicks here and there. I would have done a little bit more to lay the groundwork for that speech that Professor Warren has at the end. There's no room in the whole world for imperfection. The only person who could have prevented you from achieving the quiet that I can give you was Stephen. And you locked him up downstairs. We're quiet now, Helen. I'm glad I waited. Everyone's out of the way. Mrs. Oates is drunk. Because I purposely let her steal a bottle of brandy. And Oates is going to look for Ethan. Because I made sure there was no Ethan. And Blanche, whom I loved, didn't love me. So she had to die. She's dead in that piece. And Stephen? You took care of him for me. Stephen is weak, as I once was. What a pity my father didn't live to see me become strong, to see me dispose of the weak and imperfects of the world whom he detested. I might have dropped a line or two in there about the the. Uh, I guess I guess Ethel Barrymore's character did mention that murder and how there was a shadow in the window and she never could figure out who it was, but she had she had her her suspicion. And I think she thought it was the other son. One of the sons was a stepson, and the other was her biologic son. I I don't remember which. So what would you rate this movie? I would give it a uh, an overall of a nine. Uh, it's it's almost at a ten, but I I I just I keep looking at like double indemnity and gentle agreement in some of those films and I, I just think they're just slightly above this one um, I, I love this film though and it's wonderful that they can get all this action into 84 minutes of screen time I mean that's really care and hard work to get it to fit like that so how about you the number eight just kept coming into my head as I was watching it like I said I would have I would have done a little bit more to lay the groundwork and then I think there's a there's a stretch of the movie between when Dorothy McGuire kind of runs home from the movie theater and drops that key in the water and then there's this real tense moment where somebody's watching her and, and then where I would say like Rhonda um, Fleming's character Blanche gets murdered in the basement where it's a lot of sort of family drama and there's a lot of like interpersonal drama happening and, and I, I think they could have done something in the in that stretch to to ratchet up the tension a little bit more but I, I also feel like I might be coming at this from a modern moviegoers perspective and thinking about later movies and how those were done so I think it must have been pretty in 
some ways innovative in in its form back in 1946. Like I, I don't remember seeing any movies like this before in our movie watching reviews that we've done. So I give it props for that. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's well said because I think it is one of the kind of the trendsetters of the time. But what you just talked about did come out in one of the reviews. Uh, it says it's done so well, except that it tends to be tedious at times instead of tense. Yeah, yeah, that's that that's a better way to say it. it it's a little tedious in the in the middle section, the middle third, and I think they could have either added something. I think this is a situation where I think if they had added something, it could have helped. If there had been another murder, um, yeah, I think that could have helped, actually. But still, we're, we're at an eight and a nine, so we, we really like that. And I'd recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. And I, I believe it's pretty readily available on YouTube and other sources. So it's a- I found it for free on YouTube, and it's a good good quality. I mean, I watched it twice. I enjoyed it, and I loved I loved the characters that they portrayed. Like Ethel Barrymore's character is so grumpy and <laughs> unlikable, but at the same time, you're kind of rooting for her. And Elsa <laughs> Lancaster is always awesome. And like I said, I loved her hair in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, it's good. So we, we we liked it, and we're coming up on a change of pace. And our transition film for podcast next yeah. is the Western Hondo from 1953 with John Wayne. And I, I again think it's easily available. I was looking up different sources uh, and I found uh, I found some. So any anyone that wants to look at that who would want to do that can easily find it on the internet. And it was in 3D. I, I have not been able to find one uh, version of it that's actually in the 3D version. It, yeah, it's, it was, it's a really good film. It really is. It looks good. I, I'm just curious to see John Wayne's foray into 3D movies. <laughs> yeah, right. You could, when you see it, if you don't watch it in 3D, you can kind of tell when yeah. they were using that yeah. that technique in the film. And then after that, we we move into a batch of musicals, or as we've come to call them, Western-oriented musical comedies. Annie, Get Your Gun, Calamity Jane, Paint Your Wagon, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and all of these are readily available. We finally got it down in terms of Finding films that anybody could find on the internet. Well, we we try. <laughs> We've had a couple that we just haven't had luck with, but these should work out fine. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, that was our review of the Spiral Staircase, and coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt, and this is Bob. The happy movie watching.
he turns off the recording.